across the shards, this is The Cavern Today, brought to you by the Cavern Communications Network. The Cavern Today is a CCN production and an Until Uru fan presentation. If you would like to learn more about our program, head over to our website at www.thecaverntoday.com. Also, if you'd like, visit our form or blog. The blog address is echo2thecaverntoday.blogspot.com. Your hosts for today's podcast are Tyon, Zam, and Veralum. Hello. It is so good to be here today. Yes, we have a great podcast lined up for all of you today. Lisa and Dalkan will bring us up to date with weather and news. And later there will be some new music by Dlanor. We also have, among other things, an update on DRC. It is the month of March, and St. Patrick's Day is coming up. Be sure to wear green. You know, I was very much wondering where some of the traditions, like wearing green and pinching people, came from. I did a little research, and do you know, the original St. Patrick had nothing to do with wearing green or pitching people or looking for leprechauns. See? Well, this is very interesting. Yes, and I could not find where the traditions of wearing green came from, but it is certainly more an American tradition than an Irish one. Since we are discussing March teams, Sam, do you know anything about the phrase mad as a March hare? Only that it has something to do with hares and their mating season. They must act crazy in March. Shara, this is Lissa with news and weathers for the cavern today. Speaking of cool and dry, it's 67 degrees today in the cavern, while on the surface it's 80, sunny and windy. In Spokane, the skies are cloudy today, and it feels like 38, even though the temperature gauges are showing 46 and brisk. Since the Damalashar has made its appearance, a whole group of new explorers have made their way to the cavern, and some explorers not heard from for a while are making their way back as well. There have been a few issues with the user key update use. For the record, no user keys are allowed in the cavern by way of the Tamala Shard. Please uninstall the key and set it aside. It will cause serious problems and those caught using them will be warned about their use. Please use neither the user key or admin tools that you find in various website and forums while using the Tamala Shard. If you need more information about this topic, please go to http colon backslash backslash plasma.cyanworlds.com and click on the forum tab. Not only will you find useful information on the forum about the user key, but you may find other information you've been looking to find about anything related to Unto Uru and Mist. In other news, CCN is encouraging the subscription to its weekly programs on the shortwave by offering regular vidcast. This past week, the first of several programs debuted. Sunday to Sunday with host Janathis took a look at joining a hood. And future programs will deal with other similar topics. Alhan will continue to host a news program and the shortwave production team is working on adding a surface tech show with Dr. Zeeb and an in-cavern talk show called the WC, short for Water Cooler. Listeners will be the guest of this show and will be interviewed by our The Cavern Today host, Tyon. To finish out the week, comedy is slated to be offered on Saturdays. Special programming will continue to be run from the shortwave, including the upcoming St. Patrick's Day Parade vidcast on March 18th. Pally64, our CCN webcam director, 
plans to simulcast the entire event from the cavern. If it works out that you can't be there, you can still see the parade by going to www.thecaverntoday.com and clicking on Special Events webcam. And before long, and due to popular request, CCN will distribute the Archiver, a newsletter created by editor Alamont. As you might imagine, Cavern Communication Network is quite busy these days. So busy, we haven't had a moment to bring you up to date with our little mystery taking place out in the Riven Age. Dalkin Starbine is still filling in for Old Man, who has been recuperating for months now and is ready to bring us some news. This is Dalkin Starbine reporting on location in Garrison. It's a cloudy day out here. I'm rotating from the rooftop and trying to make the jump to the journey cloth. I got word from a reliable source there is information left there by the same group who kidnapped Old Man last fall and took him to the rehab. By the way, Old Man is doing much better. I've seen him in the cavern. He came down via the new demolishard. You know, we haven't heard too much from the DRC lately. I no longer believe they have anything to do with the H-Mall project. But I would appreciate knowing what the DRC is up to. What kinds of issues they are having with this phase of Until Uru. I don't want our listeners to misunderstand what we've been reporting at the cavern today. No additional areas of the cavern are being made available to explorers at this time. Testing is being done for capacity and use of the cavern, but it may be a while before the DRC is ready to move on to the next stage of process. Then again, you never know. New developments may take place in a moment's notice. I think we should be prepared, but not disappointed if the process bogs down a little. As for my investigation about the mall project, I was out there yesterday. I took a day off from visiting friends in the cavern. I know it was reported work was going on over there last fall, but it appears work has slowed down a little, or is going on behind the scenes. It is most likely certain areas of the construction site won't be made known to the public until permissions are obtained and approved. I saw a building inspector drive up just as I was pulling away, and I've seen notices in the forms about getting permission to proceed with the work. I can tell you, I believe it's not one entity who is working on any one area of the mall, but several groups working on different aspects of the project. It may be that once I get the information supposedly left where I expect to jump, I will be able to make a definitive statement. For now, this is Dalkin Starbine on location in the Uru Ages. Back to you, Lissa. Thank you, Dalkin, and since it's all we have time for today, I encourage listeners to check out the shortwave next week. This is Lissa for The Cavern Today, signing off. Hi everyone, this is Moag. I play Jeff and Kural in the serial drama Journey of the Cult, and as you know, Tyon has been working on JOTC Season 2. Well, we're finally in the recording stage again, and this week has been, well... A messy one, let's put it that way. If I have all my info right, it all began in our CCN office. Tayan had finished the JOTC scripts for that morning's recording on the previous night and linked back in to get them before he headed to the sky booth. JOTC script episode, no, that's JOTC script episode. Sure, Mr. Tayan. Melacuddy, what are you doing here? I thought you were gone. Ever since I turned in my warranty receipt, I haven't seen you around. I've been busy, Mr. Toyon, developing my acting voice for Journey of the Call. Excuse me? 
You said you needed a new actress, so here I am. Millicuddy, that role has been filled. Well, you can always use another girl on the show. But you're not a girl. You're a bot. Now, Mr. Tyon, I can be an evil sidekick for Carol. Just listen. <laughs> yes, that's very nice. Millicuddy, give me that script. That took me six hours to rewrite. Well, I was just fixing it up a little, Mr. Tyon. I want it to be fresh. J.O.T.C. Season 2, Episode 1, R. Don't read it. Oh, good grief. I gotta get going to the sky booth. Yes, Mr. Tyon. We don't want to be late. Why me? you get here before me? Well, Mr. Tyon, bots link in faster than Avi's. It's a wiring thing. Whatever, Millicuddy. Ty, finally. Good. Everyone is here and ready to go. I tried to get here earlier, but... Oh, never mind. Here are the scripts. Tyon, are you all right? You don't look so good. I'm fine. Millicuddy, would you go get everyone some coffee? Sure. I'll get the coffee, and then we can all rehearse. I'll BRB! Okay, everyone. We're doing JOTC Season 2, Episode 3, Scene 1. Moag, Alhan, and Ruby, mics 1 through 3 are set. So when the red light turns on, begin. So we began. And the whole thing went well for about, well, two minutes. Until... What the... Cut! Madge, didn't you see the red light? Why, yes, Mr. Tyon. I like red. Oh, why me? I... All right, five-minute break. Give me that coffee, Millicuddy. Well, Tyon looked rather stressed, but of course, pulling an all-nighter and then dealing with Madge would... Well, would do that to anyone. All right, everyone, let's give this another try. As before, we begin when the red light turns on. Mr. Tyon, my mic isn't working. Are you sure the power is on with this fourth mic? Millicuddy, you're not in this show, and plus I only turned on three mics. But, Mr. Tyon, you have my revised script right Millicuddy, there. Millicuddy, why do you go through my scripts? Because, Mr. Tyon, I like reading your work, and after reading it, I could tell you needed a femme fatale. Oh, well, con everyone, let's get back to work. You have been listening to The Cavern Today, a Cavern Communications production and UU fan presentation. Now, back to our program. This is Ruby Odegee with the Cavern Today update on progress made by Cavern Explorers to elect five of their own to the position of DRC Liaison.
As our promotions director, S.J., reminded me, the catchphrase of the cavern seems to be, I can live with that, first quoted by 75th Trombone. No matter how you define the phrase now, its multi-layered and soon-to-be-researched meanings by game and storytellers everywhere will start to be unraveled as explorers go through the nomination and election process. And it could also be what DRC member Marie Sutherland meant when she said the DRC may have no choice but to include explorers in their story. I met her yesterday with several other explorers in Aguera. I must say Miss Sutherland was refreshingly open and answered several questions I posed to her concerning the nomination process. In summary, she said the DRC did not want to interfere with the liaison selection, that the forum debate was settling down, and that though the posts were many, the varied discussions and threads had been expected. When I asked her about a time frame, she said she could not give me an answer now. In answer to my question, but what if the process gets completely bogged down, will you intervene? She said, only as a last resort. While it appeared there might have been a rush to select the liaisons before the entire community could be made aware of the election, there has been a cry for a schedule in the last couple of days. One poster has suggested the process continue through the month of April and that the community be ready with a list of names for liaison for a May 1st term. I'm not sure what is meant by term, but there is bound to be other schedule suggestions and a clear determination of what term means before this process is over. Along with the haggling and campaigning, there were some light moments. One thread, courtesy of Zardaz, suggested votes could be purchased on DRC Bay. Of course, we all know Zardaz is funning around, because none of the clicks really clicked. The question is, how many of you tried them? I know I certainly did and our own The Cavern Today host Zam was seen at the posting kiosk on a number of occasions looking for chocolates. What do you think this says about our community? Humor and fun abound, and that chocolate is still the most popular staple food product for explorers, damala, or otherwise. If you are interested in being among the hopeful candidates or want to join in the discussion about how the process should work to select liaisons, you need to go to www drcsite.org and join the forum, regardless of how many posts there are to wade through, and this reporter bounced around for three days to get through them all to the current, your comments and suggestions will be most welcome. As of this date, the following nominees have accepted their nominations. Please excuse me for how I pronounce some of these names. Gadrill 23, Gadrin, Capella, Tweak, Reels, William, Vidkid 7, Duran, Sam's Base, Talnava, Vormian, Reverend Vader, Vortmax, Supergram, Tarisha the Scrivener, Sriserum, Toria, Ian Atras, Professor Askew, Deg, Pelly64, Ellery, Ural, Lore, T.S. Kimball, and T.S.R.B.L.K.E. Unconfirmed nominations, explorers who have not yet accepted, include Catty, C.A. Grey Wolf, Chuck, this is Chucker, they presume, Irene Quench, Anna Catherine, Ashtar, June, who has since declined, Dalredia, Darkstar, Jaron, Mateus, and Drakir. Declining nominations, 75th Trombone, Zardaz, Almanot, Corona, I Am Foreman, S.J., Shadowcats, Ruby O'Degee, Danny, The Modificator, Tijara, Mowog, Golden Wedge, Conductor, Ivanova, and Gav. 
There may be other nominations not yet reported on this site. The issue is whether the nominations thread is the official thread. I am sure posters will be happy to see you either agree or disagree with them on the official thread. No matter how you cut it, this kind of opportunity doesn't come along every day. Participate now. It's your decision that matters. Invites and technical information are available at plasma.cyanworlds.com. All you need is a boxed game of Yuru Ages Beyond Mist or Complete Chronicles still available through most retailers. We still call it Until Yuru because it is, but we dream of new expeditions anyway. See you in the cavern. This is Ruby Odegui signing off. This is Molog again for The Cavern Today. We're thrilled to welcome today's guest to our program. He holds the unenviable position of being the art and visual design director at Cyan Worlds. He's been the artistic uh, force behind many of the ages we've explored during the past several years, worlds that have triumphed in their mix of realism and surrealism, worlds that keep pulling us in. We'd like to welcome Josh Staub. Hey, Josh, how's it going? It's going great. Um... Can you begin by telling us a bit about your history with Cyan Worlds? Basically, what uh, projects have you worked on over the years, and what were some of your contributions? Sure. Um, next month, I'll actually be celebrating my 12th year at Cyan. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've been there for quite a long time. Um, and actually, the first project I worked on for Cyan, uh, I did before I came on full-time. It was actually a summer project for me um, and the project was called Color Spelunks. Um, I remember it well. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun yeah. game. Um, Definitely. My, initially my job, uh, as I said, it was just a summer job so I, I actually lived and worked in Robin Miller's basement to do it. Um, uh-huh. My job was to redraw all the drawings uh, from the black and white version of the game. Um, but in the end, I ended up uh, not only redrawing the drawings, but then doing all the color work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a great experience. Um, and that was before I went to college. And actually, Cyan offered me a job to not go to school um, mm-hmm. and come on full-time, but I turned him down. Um, uh, and then I went to University of Washington um, that fall and that fall also Mist was released uh-huh. and Mist was such a, a great success um, that after a couple more offers from Cyan I finally agreed to leave school <laughs> and move to Spokane oh alright um, yeah it seemed like a viable option at that point for me um, and I guess the rest is history started working on Riven from day one uh-huh. Uh huh. There were. I still lived and worked in Robin's basement for the first few months <laughs> I was there. Yeah, the two of us were basically the art department at that point. There were just seven oh, of us at Cyan. Um, yeah, so the rest is history. Interesting. So he made you do the laundry down there, and <laughs> <Yeah>. okay, okay. <laughs> wasn't quite that bad. Yeah. Well, I remember both the black and white and color versions of Speedlunks very well, and mm-hmm. I remember when we first got the color version, it was just brilliant. Uh, yeah, it's it was obviously a complete re-rendering, and the yeah and the colorizing was gorgeous. Thanks. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, I mm-hmm. I I'd always loved to draw 
Um, but really at that point never thought I would be making games for a living or never even thought I would be an artist for a living, mm -hmm. frankly. Um, but yeah, it's something I've always loved to do, and that was a great, a great opportunity for me. Yeah. I think I mentioned in the past that one of my great disappointments in my history as a mist enthusiast was when I upgraded to a faster Macintosh mm. and, and ran Spelunks and found out that Yodel Toasters was too fast to be playable anymore. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, that's, that's a highlight. <laughs> Yodel Toasters I was heartbroken, is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yodel Toasters is definitely a cyan favorite. Uh-huh. Of course, there were the other classics like Rubber Gut and, you know, Chip mm -hmm. Ship Lander and <laughs> yep. all the other ones we wasted our lives with for a yep. while. Yeah. <laughs> well, the worlds of Mist have always been known for their striking, um, immersive beauty, but at the same time, the story has always been central to the series. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to develop in a story environment, essentially working as an illustrator as much as an artist? Mm -hmm. Do you feel subservient to the story at all, or do you uh, find it limiting in any way? Well, I think, um, you know, this brings up a little bit of a what came first, the chicken or the egg. You know, does the story uh -huh. come first and the ages come out of that, or vice versa? Uh, and luckily, the way we do most of the things at Cyan is they kind of happen simultaneously. I mean, okay. there's a lot of uh, back and forth. Sometimes an, an idea for a story will result in an age kind of um, making that making that story come to life. And other times, you know, there's an idea for an age that just is cool. You know, you, it can't be passed up. We got to do mm -hmm. it. Um, and so then we look at, okay, well, why would this age exist? You know, what would the Dunny have needed in this age? What, mm -hmm. what would the relationship be there? So I don't think it's limiting. If anything, I think it, um, it sort of helps, that give and take sort of helps uh, enhance the richness and believability of the story and the, the ages themselves. Understood. Well, on a similar note... Um do you feel any limitations working within a gameplay format, or do you find that a motivation? And I guess what I'm thinking is, uh, do you find yourself compromising sometimes to make a scene playable, quote-unquote, or do you enjoy that challenge? Hmm. Um, I think I enjoy the challenge. I mean, uh, definitely there are things that you have to do in the world uh, to make it entertaining. You know what sure. I mean? It's it's yeah. got to be more than just pretty pictures, mm -hmm. um, and it's got to be more than just a story. It's got to be immersive. It's got to be rich, um, and it's got to entertain people, and it's got to compel people to want to want to play. Sure. Um, but I think we look at that as a challenge more than anything that's that's limiting. Yeah. Well, I'd like to begin this next question by recommending to our listeners that they pay a visit to Josh's main website, which is www.joshstaub.com, and take a look at the galleries there. They are just breathtaking. They are uh, showcases of his work in both digital and traditional media, and it's very interesting to see some alternative concepts of scenes and objects that have uh, since become very familiar to us in the Myst games. Uh, the work you've displayed there is really, really very pretty. Thanks. I was especially taken by the bathroom scene on the main menu <laughs> on the splash page. On the splash page, you know, a pun not intended there, but uh, can you tell us something about that image? Yeah, that was um, something that I don't do very often, or Cyan doesn't do very often. Um, mm -hmm. Occasionally, if there's a little downtime or between projects, we might take on a little assignment. Uh, and that was one of those things where 
there was a local uh, advertising agency who mm -hmm. they were doing some print ads and they needed um, three different mirror um, situations uh, and one of them was they wanted a bathroom scene and they'd never actually worked with a 3D artist before uh -huh. um, and so right when I heard about it um, I started working on that scene mm -hmm. um, and the idea for me was to create something was that it was as photorealistic as possible sure. um, which it's funny because when they actually first saw what I had done, they thought it was a photo. They thought it was a reference <laughs> photograph for what I was going to be working on, uh -huh. um, and I ended up, you know, that no, that's the scene. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a fun challenge. I hadn't done much uh, pre-rendered stuff around that time. It, I'd been spending so much time doing real-time stuff with Uru that it was fun to kind of get back to my roots um, yeah. and make just a very photorealistic image. So. Well, I can sure recommend our visitors to take a look at that site because it's a stunning image, and a couple of clicks in, I think there is a full-screen enlarged version of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, There's actually a tutorial, a little tutorial that I was asked to write for that image, too, for people oh, who want to okay. know how it was actually made. I think if you go to the page that is dedicated to just that image, there's a little link there that, that will take you to the tutorial. Well, very good, very good. Um, I need to ask, though, uh, for the sake of the fans, uh, with all your experience in that image, why didn't they have you do some bathrooms in the cavern? Uh, you're <laughs> being the staff expert and everything mm -hmm. now. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm sure you're aware that question comes up all the time. Like, why aren't yeah. there bathrooms in, in the cavern or in any of these ages? You know, we're still looking for the right opportunity to put one of those in there just to satisfy the fans. Um, Putting dunnies in dunnies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, following on in um, browsing through Josh's site, you can't help but be overwhelmed by the richness of the uh, pre-rendered CGI scenes there. And with that in mind, I'd like to ask what was different about developing for Riven, which was entirely pre-rendered, and Uru, which was real-time 3D. Again, did you find it um, limiting to have to leave the luxury, as it were, of pre-rendering behind in favor of 3D worlds that would have to perform well on the average home computer? Yeah, that was uh, a big deal. Um, I actually remembered when Rand first mentioned to me that he wanted to do our next project in real time. We were on a press tour in Europe, actually. Uh -huh. um, and he told me over breakfast that he was thinking about uh, wanting to explore that as an option for our next mm -hmm. Myst series game. Um, and I thought he was crazy. I mean, I thought uh -huh. <laughs> I, I was so used to and comfortable doing um, pre-rendered stuff. And just kind of, I had thought that the level of detail that you could achieve in, in pre-rendered was so much greater. Mm -hmm. um, especially if you think back to when he brought that up to me. You know, the, the game that was out there that was real-time was Tomb Raider. I mean, that, yeah, was, that yeah. was kind of the level that I think most people were used to. Uh -huh. And my first reaction, therefore, was, you know, how can we do this? We can't do yeah. this to the fans. They want to see Dunny, um, and now they're not going to be able to see it in all its glory. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we did some tests internally, and, you know, we, we basically took a lot of the things that we learned um, from creating Riven, 
mm-hmm. uh, in texturing and modeling, and just you know tried to bleed every ounce of <laughs> detail we could out of the real-time environments. Yeah. Um, Get as much of the same feeling, I guess, as you did. Yeah, I, I mean, that was the goal, is we wanted to make it feel like Riven, even though, mm-hmm. practically speaking, um, I mean, for Riven, we used Silicon Graphics workstations. We had, sure. you know, huge servers with 12 CPUs rendering out uh-huh. individual images that would take an hour, two hours per image sometimes, uh-huh. and now we've got to rely on somebody's home computer um, <laughs> to render it at 30 times every second. You know, I mean, uh-huh. it's there's such a, a chasm there between um, how much detail modeling-wise uh, and the size of the textures in Riven uh, to the real-time graphics in Uru. But at the same time, you know, we, like I said, we worked as hard as we could, and you know, we're really proud of what we've been able to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, it became a great challenge. I mean, it became every day, you know, how do we get this to yeah. look as good as possible? So. Yeah. Well, um, elsewhere in today's program, we discuss uh, Cyan's first game, The Manhole. And in one section, we mentioned designer Chuck Carter. In the movie, uh, The Making of Mist, Carter describes how he came up with the Selenitic Age shuttle is the shuttle that gave us all such fits, you know, <laughs> trying to sort out the little sounds. Mm-hmm. Once we noticed the sounds after we'd mapped everything, uh, he said that it was inspired by the puffer fish in Disney's Little Mermaid. Uh, do you have similar stories about some of the props we found uh, in the ages and the cavern? And can you give us some background there? Um, like, do you have any favorites? I yeah, guess, I guess yeah. it's one of those things, you know, I think we find I- ideas for designs all over the place, you know, in our everyday lives. I kind of don't want to give any of those things away, exactly Uh what something might have been, just because people will never be able to see, you know, (laughs) the object in the world again. Um, But I can say, you know, there have been countless things that are very domestic, you know, soap dispensers or, I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can kind of get ideas for shapes and forms. Um, We found so many objects in Ura, for example, that seem to be inspired by, you know, traffic cones. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing how similar those are. Yeah, I know. Um, The resemblance was really striking. mm -hmm. I think also, you know, um, some of the stuff comes from our own individual experiences or travels uh, to Europe. um, Or I'm sure you realize in, in Riven, you know, the jungle village a lot mm-hmm. of those kinds of things came from, uh, or the ideas there came from the trip that uh, Robin Richard and I took down to Santa Fe, um, yeah. New Mexico, where we took lots of photographs of um, all the different pueblos and things down there. And we mm-hmm. ran into a, probably the gold mine on that trip was um, an old junkyard that had uh, train, railroad, um, just parts you know, rusty mm-hmm. metal parts. It was just, it was this amazing resource for us. We took so many pictures down there, and uh-huh. a lot of that, I think, has influenced the work that we've done since then, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of rusty metal uh, look that a lot of the things that we do has. So, I think that's one of the things that so many of us noticed right away is that, well, for example, when Star Wars first came out, it was one of the first fantasy movies where the equipment and the machines and the spaceships really looked used. I mm-hmm. mean, they had uh, 
battle damage and grease and you know grime and they really look believable right yeah i think for something to be realistic i think that's actually a, a trap that a lot of 3d artists fall into yeah is um you know when you make 3d in the computer uh, it's going to inherently look very sterile you yeah. know it's going to yeah. be sharp edged uh, it's going to be very geometric um and so a lot of the work that we do is trying to create the illusion that this thing has been around for a long time, you know, in yeah, some cases yeah. hundreds or thousands of years. Uh, and in order to do that, you've got to roughen up the edges. You've got to mm -hmm. show that something has weathered or aged in some way. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we, we do work very hard, hard on that. Yeah. Well, can you describe uh, for us the general process involved in bringing an image from the concept stage uh, to a finished product? And uh, on that same note, what's the general work atmosphere like at Cyan? Sure. Um, well, you know, the first stages will obviously be the, the design, uh, which usually consists of um, four of us, maybe five of us, sitting down and, and discussing an age and usually drawing maps uh, a lot of you have probably seen kind of the maps that were drawn for Riven um, that are top down a lot of the puzzles are figured out there as well as some of the look and feel um, but once we've got a good handle on that um, I'll go in and, and do up some drawings or maybe a concept painting of what I imagine the age to look like sure. um, and then usually I'll go and show it to Rand just to make sure that kind of we're both on the same page. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll talk about it. And then when it's actually time for an object uh, to go into production, um, I will take a drawing and go sit down with the artist who's going to do it. Sometimes um, in the case of like a concept painting, which just has a bunch of ideas in the painting for what an area is going to look like, mm -hmm. um, that leaves uh, more of the responsibility on the artist to kind of come up with some of the ideas for you know specific items that they need to make for sure. a room or whatever um, so if that's the case I'll sit down with an artist we'll continue to brainstorm ideas of what what things are going to look like mm -hmm. and then once we've settled on that um, the artist will uh, start working on it and uh, we'll talk about practically how we're going to build it you know to make it efficient for the engine um, how we're going to handle different textures uh, possibly can we reuse textures we've used in other parts of the age mm -hmm. um, which also helps with the efficiency um, and then they kind of start working on it um, while that's being built at different stages, you know, wiring people, uh, kind of our technical artists um, mm -hmm. who kind of implement the puzzles may get a piece of that scene early on so that they can start wiring the aids. They can start, you know, mm -hmm. putting the puzzles in. Um, so there's kind of a back and forth that happens there. But basically that just continues until the end where, you know, things get polished up by the artist, um, the wiring is done uh, for an area, and then it, it goes on to be tested by our um, internal QA team. Mm -hmm. 
Very interesting. You mentioned that a lot of your designs go through RAND. Um, realizing that Cyan is kind of a collaborative of, of great creative minds, as it were, is is RAND pretty much the final filter for everything that goes into the, into yeah. the titles? Yeah, RAND... Um, I mean, there's definitely a lot of creative freedom, but um, ultimately, you know, Rand is going to say if he doesn't like something. You know what I mean? If 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 he doesn't think something fits, um, you know, he's going to be the one who is the last the last word on that. But mm-hmm. that really doesn't happen very often. I mean, we yeah. we discuss things pretty thoroughly. Um, and we've worked so long together, uh, you know, several of us, that I think in some ways we we sort of read each other's minds. Sure. You, you yeah. know, we can, yeah. when somebody says something, we kind of know what direction they're going with it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, Rand is the boss. You know, he's yeah. the one who's going to determine um, if something is in the game or not. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, let's step away from this just for a moment and, you know, Getting back to the topic of storytelling, uh, can you tell us something about the Mantis Parable? It's mentioned on your website. Uh, what kind of a story is it, and how similar is it to some of the things we may have seen and missed? Um, sure. Yeah, the Mantis Parable was just a, a personal short film project, um, and I think visually there may be some similarities, uh, not in the style to things that are in Mist, but mm-hmm. as far as kind of the look and feel of it. Um, it's it's sort of a stylized realism. You know, I wouldn't call it photographic looking. Uh, it's more colorful. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a lot of the techniques that I used uh, in Riven are just naturally going to come out in any project that I do mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then storytelling-wise, it was an opportunity for me to tell a linear story um, instead of you know nonlinear storytelling in games, yeah. um, which was fun, and it's a it is a parable, um, so there is kind of a simple message in it, uh-huh. and you know technically, I wouldn't say it's for kids, but it does play in children's programs sometimes at film mm-hmm. festivals or even at children's film festivals, um, uh-huh. just as often as it plays in you know normal film programs at film Mm -hmm. festivals so it appeals to kids because it's animation uh and it's a simple story they can understand but it also appeals to adults i think you can read a little bit deeper into what's going on sort Um, of like the lion the witch and the wardrobe yeah very much chronicles of narnia throughout yeah yeah see i mean c.s lewis is is uh for me he's my favorite author Um, yeah i uh uh, I read the entire Chronicles to our son. Of course, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd read them uh, when I was younger. Sure. But uh, read them to our son uh, as bedtime stories as he was growing up. Mm-hmm. And there were places I couldn't read with a dry eye. Right. It's, oh, yeah. It's just such powerful literature. Yeah, and I went through a similar experience. I, I read them, of course, as a kid and then reread them more recently with the movies coming mm-hmm. out. Sure. And yeah. It's amazing how much more you understand, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. as an adult. Um, I mean, to me, that's just, that's great storytelling when it can appeal to people on a, a number of different levels. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, the Mantis Parable is certainly not C.S. Lewis, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's my attempt at kind of incorporating a lot of themes that are important to me in a yeah. simple story. 
Well, very good. Well, while we're talking about storytelling, I need to mention our producer, Ruby O'Degee by nickname, mm-hmm. who uh, started this project off, our podcast project. She is a gifted storyteller herself and, and started uh, The Cavern Today not only as a storytelling project per se, but as a story in itself, in that it's being observed by others outside the team just to see what happens as its little saga unfolds. Uh, what would you call the kind of storytelling that Cyan does best? Uh, is, it, is it a shared universe, for example, or lateral storytelling? Mm-hmm. Or how would you term it? Yeah, la- I've never heard the term lateral storytelling before, but that that's came a, from Ruby. <laughs> that's a good. That's a really good way of describing it. You uh-huh. know, I think a lot of times I will say that it's nonlinear storytelling. Yeah. But lateral is actually more accurate because it gives the sense that a lot of different stories are going on yeah. at the same time, and you're free to sort of, you know, jump into one story and jump out and get mm-hmm. a little piece of this story. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, well, the story kind of unfolds itself, I think, depending on the experience of the, of the player himself or herself. Right. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, it, becomes, uh, it becomes his or her story, and I think that that's part of the magic of uh, Uru, especially because it was so nonlinear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is definitely um, a different form of storytelling, and I think, you know, there's a lot of places that it can go, not just in Uru, but in, in other games that will mm-hmm. be really interesting to see over the next several years um you know we're always trying to come up with new ways of um giving players information Mm -hmm. um to kind of unveil the story that really is what from the storyteller's perspective or from cyan's perspective it's very unusual because you're really more setting up the pieces of the story and letting people discover them yeah um Instead of, I mean, obviously telling a linear story, mm-hmm. which is, it can be frustrating and exciting. I mean, there's there's uh-huh. parts of it that are very frustrating <laughs> because at times you don't feel like people are getting the optimum experience that you sure. would have yeah. hoped them to get. You know, it's not like crafting a, a story, um, a traditional story. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's a certain excitement to watching someone discover these things and mm-hmm. how they discover the things uh, and in in a lot of ways I mean you've seen it I'm sure you guys end up uh, sharing in the storytelling because you yes, end up yes. shaping it um, mm-hmm. which then comes back on us to kind of enhance that experience uh, or steer the experience more towards a different direction mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's a very, it's a very different form of storytelling, but it's definitely exciting. Yeah, well, it certainly captured us. <laughs> uh, well, what do you think of what has been called fan fiction in the past? Uh, for example, at the Cavern Communications Network, we're a story that came out of another story, and we tell stories that may not be necessarily related to the original story's canon, as mm-hmm. it were. Uh, once I think that that Rand referred to this as the kind of storytelling that you would do around a water cooler. Hmm. And at at CCN, we call it <laughs> water cooler with a twist, I guess. We try hard not to interfere with that original story, mm-hmm. uh, unless it's to spoof it in a good-natured way. Sure. Uh, do you think that there's a definition yet for the kind of storytelling that you're doing? And I think to an extent we discovered this, but uh, and the kind of storytelling uh, that would naturally come out of it, mm-hmm. uh, 
meaning of the kind of storytelling that we've done in the cavern today or that other fans might be doing. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think if anything, it just um, provides more detail and more richness to the world, Mm -hmm. um, which can only be a good thing. I mean, like you said, you don't want it to conflict with story ideas that we're developing internally. um, But at the same time, you know, it makes the world more believable because it just expands the universe. Sure. Um, which I think is great. It's it's funny, the water cooler idea, because we've talked about that too internally, I've always looked at that as the um, the player's experience kind of being discussed over the water cooler the mm-hmm. next day. You know what I mean? And, yeah. In yeah. that way, it, becomes, it almost becomes a linear story because mm-hmm. now you do have a storyteller who's just saying this is how it went down you sure. know yeah. um, which is funny you get all these linear stories from all these different experiences um, out of one shared experience mm-hmm. you know it's pretty interesting understood yeah that's fascinating well uh, when you personally visit the ages you've designed do you yourself get immersed at all uh, and uh, meaning uh, can you enjoy playing the games and looking at the surroundings uh, in my own experience, I seldom return to voice recordings I've done in the past as I I tend to be really critical of my own stuff. <laughs> is it like this with your visual designs? Yeah, <laughs> I would say it is. <laughs> I mean, it is hard, especially right after you've, you've made something um, yeah. because you see all the things that you wish you had more time to fix or you, yeah, you see yeah. all the problems or, you know, certain things that took... A really long time or were really difficult you just don't even want to go there <laughs> you know you don't want to remember mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Um, but I think over time you know if you give it some time you forget a lot of those things and you can yeah. come back and um, remember all the good things and mm-hmm. kind of it becomes fresh for you as the artist uh, but it does it does take some time, you know. I think whenever yeah. you're creating something, that initial spark is really exciting. And yeah. for the first few days you're working on something, um, you're just so motivated and everything you're working on. I think most artists feel like the best thing they've ever done is the thing that they've just finished, you know, or that yeah. they're, yeah, they're the working on right now. The freshest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but invariably, you know, problems arise and there's obstacles and you mm-hmm. end up towards the end just grinding it out and then you really uh-huh. don't want to think about it. Uh, but if you do give it some time, at least for me, I can always go back, you know, days, weeks, months, years later um, mm-hmm. and kind of revisit those things and, and appreciate them. Sure. Well, uh, that kind of gets into my next question here. You've been spending... Um, or. You've been seen on the Damala shard mm-hmm. spending time recently. Uh, How does it feel to see uh, so many other explorers wandering around your world? Mm-hmm. And how would you define your role there recently? Well, I think it's probably related, like you said, to the previous question. I mean, it, it, it's been a long time since I've been down in Uru, um, mm-hmm. having worked on Mist 5 and the Mantis yeah. Parable and other things that... Um, it just feels good to be back down there and exploring mm-hmm. and things feel fresh to me because it had been so long. Yeah. Um, as far as my role, I don't really, you know, have an agenda when I go down there. I'm yeah. really just trying to refamiliarize myself with the environment 
and kind of experience it again as a, mm-hmm. a new player and try to see it with open eyes and figure out if there's things that we can um, do or, I mean, ideally, you know, if we do get an opportunity to expand or whatever, yeah. um, you know, I want to be able to look at that, what's there now with fresh eyes um, and figure out how we can how we can do things better or how we can enhance what we've got, so... Yeah. Well, I think I remember Rand saying some years back in an interview that one of the downsides of doing the kind of work that you guys do is you can't enjoy the final product as we fans can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that Rand, uh, I think he was commenting on Exile shortly after it had come out. Mm-hmm. And I think he said that it was the first game that he could actually sit down as a player and enjoy simply because it was, it was so unfamiliar. But right. at the same time, it was mist-based. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it was kind of a new experience. So I suppose there's a lot of that. You're so, yeah. so doggone familiar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I everything mean, in Uru, et cetera. There, it is funny. There are no surprises there. Right. It is funny though. You know, there are things that I forget. Um, well, some of the people I've met down there will probably remember me over the last few days, mm-hmm. uh, forgetting where certain markers are. You know, <laughs> most of those markers I put in there myself, okay. and I can't even remember <laughs> where some of them are. There's an awful lot of markers. Yeah, there are a lot of markers. Um, but, or, or you know, Yisha pages, or yes. just the borrow stones. Or there's all kinds of mm-hmm. things um, that, again, going in there now, I'm able to see with a fresh eye. And um, even, you know, certain puzzles. You know, I went back into Kadish. And mm-hmm. or Kadish, we pronounce it both ways. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, going through those puzzles again and trying to remember what you know how to solve them. I mean, I I, I, I know think that how was to, the trickiest stage for me. Yeah, yeah, that one. Well, I actually got stuck momentarily on the um, the pillar puzzle. Um, yes, yes. I I could not remember. What it was, like what the levers that I was supposed to pull, how many uh-huh. times or which. Um, I mean, I finally did remember it. But so in some ways I have been able to experience it again. He felt um, like Atrus going through the puzzles that Savidro had, <laughs> exactly. had confused for him. Yeah. yeah. How do you like that, Atrus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I know there are uh, a number of folks on the various MIST forums who are also designers and digital artists, mm-hmm. and uh, some of them are aspiring to enter the game industry. Uh, can you tell us a bit about your education and experience? Uh, of course, we've already covered this a little bit up front, but, but how you got where you are today, and perhaps offer some advice to anyone who may be trying to make it as, as a world builder eventually. Right. Yeah, um, I, do, I get this question a lot. And on the one hand... Um, I feel like I'm not the best person to answer just because I mm-hmm. didn't go through the traditional route of uh, going to art school. Yeah. But I, do, I think I do have the key, which is you really just have to have a passion for this stuff. Yeah. I mean, that just doesn't die. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, I think it's great to get schooling. I think it's great to learn from people. Um, uh, teachers and and go to the best schools you can to learn this stuff, but I think ultimately the thing that's going to make you successful is, you know, you're doing it on your own. You are just passionate about it outside of school, mm-hmm. inside of school, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's 
that's how you're going to really <laughs> succeed, you know. Um, the other thing I think that's really critical to understand is that as a 3D artist, you know, I think you've got to be an artist first. I think most mm -hmm. of the time, the best uh, computer artists are just great artists. They understand color and composition and lighting yeah. and texture. And those things, if anything, they just, the computer is just a tool. You know, it's, it's just another medium. It's just yeah, another yeah. medium, and if anything, a very powerful medium. Right, it's very it's powerful. Um, but if anything, you're spending most of your try, uh, most of your time trying to make it not look like it was done on a computer. You know yes, what I mean? Exactly. You're trying to get the computer sort of out of the equation, mm -hmm. and trying to just let the art inside of you come out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I think if you have a passion for doing that, um, and you're just willing to put in the time and the effort. Uh, I think you can succeed. Yeah. One other thing I would say um, for people who are doing those things and creating things on their own um, is there's a lot of forums out there uh, like cgchannel.com or, mm -hmm. or cgchat um, yeah. where you can put your work out there to be looked at by other people who are I professionals. I at your scene there, in fact. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's a great way of getting feedback that's not like from your friends and family who will just yeah. think that everything that you're doing is the best, th best thing ever. Um, yeah. It's important. it depends on your family. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. But it's important to get a real critical eye from somebody who's not um, at all biased. You know yeah. what I mean? And sometimes it's difficult to take the criticism, but it is going to make you better. Yeah. Well, I can understand that. This is it's kind of a different slant, but this is my first real experience with voice work at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been interesting to hear some of the reactions and, uh, you know, from friends, et cetera, versus Uru fans around the world who hear the programs we do. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been a very new experience and very <laughs> strange to tell you the truth. Um, well, speaking of, of the rendering and things, of the you know the art building again. Mm -hmm. What applications and equipment do you, you normally use? Well, for all the three D work, we use three D Studio Max. Okay. And um, uh, we now use version seven. Although most of Uru uh, was done with version four point two. Yeah. Um, and then we use Adobe Photoshop uh, to paint the textures. Um, those are the two big programs that we use. Interesting. Uh, all the all the um, wiring um, is in the end um, a lot of it is done in Python mm -hmm. code, but um, in the end a lot of it gets implemented using our own kind of proprietary software mm -hmm. uh, plugins and such that um, the artist can actually use. It's complicated to explain <laughs> without yeah. oh, actually yeah. having a visual, but um, uh -huh. we have plugins that allow us to give objects in the world certain properties. Sure. You know, if if something is physical, or um, how lights are treated in the in the world, or mm -hmm. how textures are done in the world. Um, so it's sort of a, a mixture between the native 3D Studio Max and the plugins that we've developed internally. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. In closing, sure. is there anything that you'd like to say to the fans in particular? Um, just that I encourage them all to come down to uh, the Demolish Shard <laughs> mm -hmm. and um, 
you know, keep inviting people, and I look forward to meeting them all down there. Yeah. Well, it's been a treat. I thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us. My pleasure. Wish you the best of everything in your future work with Cyan or outside as well. Great. And uh, for The Cavern today, this is Moog signing off. Due to the rather large numbers of explorers who have come to the cavern on the Demolishard, the Laundromat Hood has opened a branch there and encourages all explorers to please take advantage of the state of the art machines brought to the cavern with a great deal of trouble and set up with some jerry-rigged generators. If even your friends are stepping a distance away from you, it's time to get those clothes clean. We use suds-free detergent and no starch. The Laundromat Annex Hood is open every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Demolishard, and on Wednesdays, it's free. We also provide music for your listening pleasure via TeamSpeak and some munchies. Your hostess on the Laundromat Annex Hood is SJ. Sure, everyone. Our today's piece of music called Tiny Tragedies was created by our talented explorer, Lanor. Thank you, Dlano, for this wonderful music. If anyone wants to hear more creations from Dlano, link to http homewanadunl slash sfynx98 slash Enter the site, link to the MIDI music page, and just enjoy the listening of these beautiful musics. Shura. This is the Caterpillar, coming to tell you that the Cavern Players will be bringing you a production of Alice in Wonderland, starring myself. This, of course, will be their first attempt at putting on a play like this. I hope they know how to recite their lines correctly. 
This is the Caterpillar signing off. As you people say, Shura. Hello again. This is Moag for The Cavern Today. Coming this spring, the Cavern players will be premiering their presentation of Alice in Wonderland on April 10th. The adaptation, done by Ruby O'Degee, will sound very familiar to listeners. Her abridged version remains true to the original story, written by Lewis Carroll, circa 1865. Acting in the production as Alice, Madge Millicuddy, in her first feature-length role. Opposite her are all the characters you'll remember from the story you read as a child, or to a child. Even better. Tyon as the Caterpillar and the Cheshire Cat. Moog as the March Hare, Mad Hatter, and Frog Footman. Dark UK as the White Rabbit. Zam as the French Mouse, Dormouse, and the Duchess. Deg as the King of Hearts. Anne D as the Queen of Hearts. Altidvarber as the Griffin, and Matthias as the Mock Turtle, with Supergram as Pigeon, SJ as Duck, Miles as Hedgehog and Dodo, Stella Flora as Lori, Verloon as Pig, Dalkin as Cook and Eaglet, Steve Crox as the Knave, and Merle as Cavern Bill. Our own deck of cards will round out the cast, and narration will be done by Galen, Alhan, and Lissa. The audio version will be made available as the Podcast 11 feed, and the feature-length film illustration by Vera Loon, with stop-action photography by Stella Flora, will be made available to you to download through iTunes feed or through the shortwave. The program will be filmed entirely on location in the cavern, and since the Wonderland story is so connected in one way or another to our own cavern story, we can proudly say that this is a Cavern Communications production, an Until Uru fan presentation that you won't want to miss. Coming April 10th, 2006. For The Cavern Today, this is Mowog signing off. Shura, this is Vera Lund reporting about the gathering from the Dutch Miss community held on the 25th and 26th and 27th of February 2006. This gathering was in Harderwijk and Ermelo, in the center of the Netherlands. On Saturday afternoon, we met each other in our hotel in Harderwijk, tiny nice little town on the earlier borders of the Zuiderzee. It was nice to see all the people again, which we knew already before, and also to see all these new people. This gathering was something special. There were people from the Netherlands, from Germany, from Belgium, from Switzerland and even from the United States. It was the first time that people came from other countries and enjoyed our gathering. And the atmosphere was lovely. It was amazing to see that the whole group was just like a big family. You only knew each other from an avatar or from a forum and now we met them in real life. There were no barriers. It was just if we known each other already for a long, long time. In the evening we went to a nice restaurant called Bonanza. Excellent spare ribs and steaks. After visiting a typical Dutch pub with live music, we went tired to our bed. And after a few hours sleep and a lovely breakfast in our hotel and a little bit relaxing in the Grand Café, we went to our afternoon program in Ermelo. A few people who were not be able to come on Saturday and join us in the afternoon. So we had a large group. After talking and making music and doing some interviews, we went to the bowling centrum and doing some exercise with the bowling ball. And a lovely meal was waiting for us. And the further evening was spent in the Grand Café with chatting and doing games. After a short night again and a lovely breakfast, it became slowly time to say goodbye to each other. Saying goodbye is always difficult. 
and we promised each other to meet again very very soon you have been listening to the cavern today a cavern communications production and uu fan presentation now back to our program in august there will be a gathering in germany organized by the german real life shard and we are looking forward to enjoy that also plans are made for more gatherings and preparations are already made now for a euro gathering it would be great to meet more people from all over Europe, but also from the rest of the world. This gathering shows us that there is a strong bond between the people. I like to thank Geert and Sika for the great effort to make this gathering possible. And a special thanks to our German friends, Neyfried, Lalune, Eirinkwensch, Hamstra and Toro. And of course, Klex from Switzerland and Galen from Iowa, the United States of America and Amore and Michael from Belgium and Yisha, Ministry, Eyranger, Marijn, Zai, Johan, Embryon, Marcel Pans, Delta Blast, Sunshine, Altitwarber, Orkai, Eind, Link, Freebird, Kirk and Verlun, who made this meeting to a wonderful event. On the shortwave there will be a video available to give everybody an impression from these beautiful days. I hope this gathering will inspire others to join a real-life meeting, wherever it is being organized. You will never forget this, and you will have friends for life. This is Feralun, reporting from the Dutch Miss Community Gathering, signing off for the Kevin today, Sora Beshem. Hello again, this is Moog for the Cavern Today. The subject of Cyan's early work came up in a couple of our interviews, and the more I thought about it, the more I felt that a feature on these games might be in order. After all, it's entirely possible, if not probable, that many of you were introduced to Cyan's work through the Myst series. And if that's the case, I hope you find this little trip down memory lane interesting. In fact, it might even increase your appreciation for Myst. Cyan's first foray into the art of world-building was a quirky, clever little product entitled The Manhole. It appeared on the scene in 1987, and what a different scene it was then. Apple had introduced the Macintosh only three years before, and it's difficult today to realize the impact that the Mac had on the home computer market. PCs, then generally referred to as IBM compatibles, were still running either the DOS command line interface or very primitive graphical interfaces. And as simple as the early Macs were, their graphical interface, coupled with the first commercial use of the mouse, made them an instant hit. They were billed as the computer for the rest of us, and truly that was the case. While you had to memorize a whole manual full of arcane commands to use a PC, the Mac displayed all its tools visually via menus, and you simply chose a function from a list and clicked it. The first Macs shipped with an amazing application called HyperCard that allowed common users, the rest of us actually, to build fully functional applications. All of the interface elements found in the Mac OS were available in HyperCard, pre-scripted and ready to go, or ready for some simple script editing to customize their functionality. I once used HyperCard to create a recipe card system for my wife, and I'm an extremely right-brained graphics guy and not a programmer. So the Mac, with some help from HyperCard, put some real power in the hands of the everyday enthusiast. Well, two of those enthusiasts happened to be Rand and Robin Miller from Spokane, Washington. As Rand recently mentioned in an interview with The Cavern Today, Robin was the artist and musician of the family, and Rand was the programmer. Together, they imagined a very different kind of computer gaming experience. And this was in the days when arcade consoles were dominated by shooting games of various sorts. Atari, 
one of the big names in consoles, had in fact built an industry around game programming built on the concept of so-called player missile graphics. Essentially, a manually controlled player sprite would trigger a missile sprite, aiming that missile toward another player, and if a collision was detected, some sort of action was initiated. Think Pong, and you've got the most basic idea. So it's not surprising that when most people thought of computer games back then, they were thinking of arcade classics like Missile Command, Space Invaders, and any number of games where the object was to shoot your opponent's elements and destroy them. Rand and Robin had spent their formative years entertaining themselves with various games of their own making, and with the arrival of the Macintosh, they realized that they had before them the tools to make something entirely new, a game that would appeal to young and old, its only prerequisite being simple curiosity. This place would be a non-violent world where children could explore whimsical places and meet new friends. A place where the simple click of a mouse would lead you to a new scene, a speech from a character, or just a funny sound effect. The manhole shipped on four three-and-a-half-inch floppy disks that you would copy to your Mac's hard drive. The game actually comprised a large collection of hypercard stacks, or collections of individual game scenes, with hotspots and buttons scripted to produce sounds and actions or branch the player to another scene. There was no detailed instruction manual as such. The magic of the game was that it was entirely up to the player to discover the game's secrets. Upon launching the manhole, the only thing the player would see was a plain-looking manhole in the immediate foreground and a fire hydrant in the distance. Clicking the manhole would cause it to slide open, and a marvelous beanstalk would then emerge and grow to the sky. You could climb up or down the beanstalk, Climbing to the top of the beanstalk, the first thing you would notice was a lamppost, shining in the night, much like the lamppost in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and certainly inspired by it. Exploring for a bit brought you to a castle tower, and you could enter the tower and climb up the stairs to the top and find chess pieces. You'd also meet Mr. Dragon, a whimsical character, cool as anything, and he'd offer you a biscuit and then cook it for you with his flame. Actually, he'd kind of more than cook it for you and leave it as ashes. Climbing down the beanstalk, you discover a sunken ship populated by friendly sea creatures, including a walrus that slept in the cabin. You could open a roll-top desk, examine the contents, open a bottle of ink to watch the whole scene fade to black, play tunes on an anchor, etc. Oh, and the fire hydrant? Entering the hydrant, you'd see a nicely appointed front room with a sofa, a picture on the wall that you could change by clicking, and a cabinet with drawers you could explore. In the back room, you'd meet a pleasant rabbit, who would offer you a cup of tea that you could either accept or decline. The teacup was also your gateway to an underground river that ran through cloistered tunnels, navigated by a mysterious elephant in a small boat, an elephant voiced by Rand, if I remember correctly. You could watch TV with the rabbit, read the books on his bookshelves, play with the plants, and so on. Somewhat later, the manhole was re-released in a greatly enhanced full-color version that took advantage of the new CD-ROM format. I seem to remember that the Manhole Masterpiece Edition CD was the first computer game to be packaged on a CD. The game was re-imaged largely by artist Chuck Carter, who would also be a major contributor to the original Myst. And here's a bit of Myst trivia. Rumor has it that the face depicted in the mosaic tiles on the floor of Atrus Prison Chamber was actually that of Chuck Carter. And if you've ever seen the movie, The Making of Mist, Carter is interviewed about his contributions, and you can see that he really does resemble the picture. And on a side note, when you visited the rabbit in his hydrant in the enhanced version of the manhole, you could watch The Making of Mist on his television. In the manhole, there was no winning or losing. 
Just the fun of indulging your curiosity in a wonderfully creative world that was never threatening or dangerous. In closing, I need to apologize. I'd intended to replay the manhole on my old Mac compatible before starting to write this feature, but alas, I couldn't find the CD. So all of this was written from memory, but I think it's largely accurate. Maybe. In our next installment, we'll pay a visit to Cosmic Osmo in his humble solar system. If you've ever wondered about that odd-looking Osmo shirt we find in our relto closets in Uru, tune in next time and find out what it's all about. For The Cavern Today, this is Molwag, signing off. Hello everyone, this is Steve Crocs reporting on the new Damalus Shard. This shard was opened by Cyan just a few weeks ago and has already seen some major activity. It was first hinted at when Victor Laxman posted about the spread of explorers being pro- problematic. A few days later, the Shard was opened to explorers, and is a place where we can interact with DRC members, scientists, and a mysterious person known as Blake. Great Dragons also mentioned that there will be a survey happening on the Shard, so Cyan is able to find out what people actually want. While on my travels in the cavern, I managed to find a fellow explorer who had spoken with this mysterious Blake. Hello everyone, I'm here in the cavern with Sam Bayard, producer of UU Radio. He was recently able to find Blake in the cavern and spoke with him for several minutes. Hello Sam, how are you? I'm great, thanks. That's good to hear. Now I hear that you recently spoke with Blake in the cavern. Yeah, I was in the city and I saw a person that was in the cavern called Blake. Knowing about Blake Lewin, I asked him through the public chat if that was him. He took a while to answer, but in the end he said hi and where, where are we all in the cavern? I then bumped into him. I'd say by chance, but I was actually scouring the city looking for him. We then initiated in voice chat, and after he said hi through the same system, we started talking. If you don't mind me asking, what did you talk about, and what was he interested in? Well, he was mainly interested in the community as a whole, and how we were sticking together whilst there wasn't any more content updated by Sion, and what we would say about future products and updates by Sion, possibly through his own GameTap system. That sounds quite interesting. Did you talk about GameTap's current US-only status, or uh, get the impression that he was looking only to distribute to the US? He did not seem to me to have any problem with other countries. As you know, I was using voice chat to talk to him, and he noticed my English accent, which he marked upon. This may have been a problem, though I reiterated that many Europeans were interested in Uru. He seemed to take it into account. Well, thank you for that, Sam. Thanks for your time. Well, it seems like we're in for an interesting time. The new Damala shard has few differences to many of the other shards. One of these is that Damala does not allow the user guy or admin guy to be used on it. And if you do plan to log on to Damala, they request that you remove it from your installation. Fly mode and Uru Age Manager are also banned from the server, and we at TCT ask that you remove these as having them installed will cause bulk corruption. As we all know, bulk corruption could mean that we'll, we will lose all our current player settings. Since this shard seems to be showing UU off, it would be a bad thing if Sion had to wipe the vault. I'm heading back into the city right now, so I'll see you in the cabin. Hello, this is Moog again. You may remember last time I had a couple of ideas for advertisements to, you know, try to bring in a bit of cash to help keep the cavern today afloat. Well, I finally noticed what you guys caught on to right away. Uh, Those ads weren't all that hot. You know, they weren't cutting edge. They just didn't... They didn't gestalt. They didn't do it, you know. 
So with that in mind, I've written the mother of all advertisements for this podcast. I've seen enough TV to know that there's a huge market for amazing tools and stuff that's not available in stores, they say. And this is always stuff that you just can't live without. You know what I mean. It looks too good to be true, but you know it's true, because there it is on TV. Well, the other thing here is that I've tapped into a huge moneymaker right off the bat just by doing it as a rap. You know there's big money in rap, and I'm so sure this thing's going to work that I've already ordered a new Cadillac Escalade. <laughs> so, if there's anything at all that's wrong with this idea, it's a trivial fact that the uh, product itself doesn't exist. But my idea is that if I get the ad out there to generate some interest, I can then invent the thing myself because I know it'll have a market. And I personally think a miracle wrench, or it's a spanner for you British guys, is a great idea, and this ad should convince the world of that. Or it may convince the world that 49-year-old white guys shouldn't ride hip-hop. Anyway, give this a listen and see what you think. It's the miracle wrench, extraordinary thing. It goes right down to a quarter of an inch, all up and right up in the middle of the room. So you can't go past, so you gotta go around to get to the dog who got to the cat and bit it on the butt because they had a little fight. And you gotta help the cat because it's got a bit butt. Five cats being cats, it doesn't understand. And it bites you on the hand and you stand there bleeding and dripping on the floor. And it gets you to thinking of the time last week. You were out in the garage, you were working on the car, you were trying to turn the bolt in a real tight spot. But the bolt was too much, so you gave another tug when the wrench just broke and you passed your nose. And you tore away the skin And you stood there bleeding and dripping on the floor And it kept you to thinking that it never would have happened If you had the right tools So you've been yourself a note to run to the store And you ran to the store And that's when you bought that miracle wrench An extraordinary thing It closes right down to a quarter of an inch But you've heard this part so I'm gonna shut up Only nineteen ninety-five. So there you go <laughs> If that won't turn the cavern today into a money-making proposition Nothing will And remember, Cyan, I'm here for you for the cavern today, this is Mowog signing off. Thank you for listening to the cavern today, and we hope you'll join us for our next podcast. Our CCN staff members include Tyon, Washington, USA, Verloon, the Netherlands, Zam, France, Lissa, Texas, USA. Moag, Missouri, USA, Drachmith, USA, SJ, Illinois, USA, Supergram, New York, USA, Deg, Pennsylvania, USA, Ken Telenome, Ohio, USA, Pally64, Switzerland, Lord Chaos, California, USA, Torinico, California, USA, Dark UK, United Kingdom, Stella Flora, United Kingdom, Marin, the Netherlands, Miles, South Africa, JWPJ, Australia, Gadron, Kansas, USA, Dillinor, the Netherlands, Galen, Iowa, USA, Almis, North California, USA, Steve Crocs, United Kingdom, Ellery, Washington, USA, Mateus, United Kingdom, Dakota J, Iowa, USA, Alti Weber, the Netherlands, LCC from the Huru Project Shard, Ohio, USA. Dalkin Starbine, Illinois, USA. Alhan, Wisconsin, USA. Ruby O'Degee, Florida, USA. Donahue, South California, USA. Dreaming Girl, USA. Janathus, Michigan, USA. Almanant, Kentucky, USA. Gert, the Netherlands. 
Meridian, Ottawa, Canada. Mrs. McGillicuddy bought temporary services, Poughkeepsie, USA. The Cavern Today, The Cavern Players, Troop, and The Shortwave are all CCM Productions and Until Uru Fan Presentations. This is Tyon, signing off. May the pinnacles rise up to meet you. May the glowbugs be always at your back. May the sunshine reflect on every Yisha page you do not see. And may the rain fall on your alto, only when you desire rain. And until we meet again, may you be blessed with thy good fortune wherever you settle. Shura Mishiyagi.